Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 626 with a review of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I'm Christopher Schnazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly I'm thinking of ending things. (laughs) It's a weekly film review podcast. Each week of the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. This week, we already had a review of Mulan, um, so hopefully... You enjoyed that more than we enjoyed Mulan. Um, but uh, yeah, now we're talking about uh, the latest film from Charlie Kaufman. It is on Netflix. It is based on a book. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to spoil it yet, Stephen, but Stephen has read the book. I have not. That may color uh, the conversation or it may it'll enrich the, uh, yes. the conversation around this film. Because it is definitely a film to be conversed about. Um, do you have anything to say before we get started, Stephen, to kind of prep people for what might be about to transpire? I I don't really know. One thing I have been grappling with, and I, I, I think over the course of this conversation I want to find out, is whether it is better or worse that I had read the book prior to watching this movie. And I mean that only because... By reading the book, there are a few things you learn about the literal reality, at least of the book version, in terms of what is going to happen and where will characters wind up. And this movie is so uninterested in the literal side of things. I, I'm curious to learn if me having actual answers to questions is going to make it better or worse. <laughs> but but we'll find out together. <laughs> um, shot in the dark. I think it probably helps. <laughs> mm. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. I'll, I'll talk about what my theory was pretty early on for what I was watching. And um, yeah. you can explain. Because we're going to have to do like mostly spoiler section right like are we just admitting that like our initial conversation will be quite brief and we'll have a lengthy spoilery exercise yeah i think so i think i think we can kind of talk about um you know how surely this was and um (laughs) whether or not that worked for us um and then we can you know and then we can kind of bounce into spoilers pretty soon after that um because i think I mean, I, I, I kind of said before we started recording that I don't think this film is technically spoilerable because you could watch it all and Stephen could say something and that would be fresh information to you, even if you just had literally just finished watching it. Um, so I think it's the, it's, it's the type of film, um, you know, much like the last 30 minutes of uh, Tenet, I hear. <laughs> uh, I have not seen it, but I hear... It's throwing people for a loop, um, maybe literally, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> um, to me, I don't think this is is a film that you can spoil because there is so much happening. It's happening so quickly, and there's pro- likely so much. Like I assume, even in the book, up to interpretation, um, but maybe in the book, it's far more literal. Um, that was actually one of the things I, I told Stephen before we started recording that. Today, I thought about getting the audiobook and trying to listen through it before the episode because I I felt like I needed more context for what it was that I watched because I'll be honest, I'm not going to go back and try to rewatch this to glean more out of it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I also started it late last night and then when I went like to the main landing page, it's like, oh, two hours, 15 minutes. Mm, okay, cool. 
<laughs> I um, rewatched most of this movie today while <laughs> waiting in my parked car between errands. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that gives people a good preview about the conversation that is about to transpire. Um, so for now, Stephen, what do you say? We just play the trailer for this movie and then come back and uh, let everyone know what we thought. Let's do it. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. I'm visiting Jake's parents for the first time. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward to meeting you. I think you're ending things. Hello? We're here. Oh, hi. Oh, it's all wet. Here they come. Jeff has told us so much about you. He's told me so much about both of you, too. And you came anyway. (laughs) Jake tells me you're studying quantum psychics. Physics. Really? There's just something profoundly wrong here. Are you okay? Yeah. I think you're ending. I am so glad Jake has found someone. Soon this will all be a distant memory. Who's this? It's me. No, it was me. I tell you, I would misplace my own head if it wasn't screwed onto my own head. I feel like I was seeing them as they were. Seeing them as they will be. Seeing them after they're gone. I'm thinking of ending. Stay here. Excuse me? You don't have to go. I don't have to go where? Forward. People like to think of themselves as points moving through time. But I think it's the opposite. We're stationary. And time passes through us. Blowing like cold wind. Maybe this is how it was always going to end. Right, so that was the trailer for I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, I'm not going to describe what this movie is. I'm just going to describe sort of the setup for what the film is starting to show you. Um, it is basically a man and a woman um, who are going to visit the man in the relationship's family. Um, and it is the first time this woman has met the family. And it's uh, the journey to and from and during that family meeting slash dinner. <laughs> Stephen Miller, would you like to let us know what you thought of I'm Thinking of Ending Things? I think a few contradictory things about this movie. One, I think this movie is extremely self-indulgent. It's exhausting. And it may be tough to enjoy. I also think... This is kind of a distillation of everything that defines Charlie Kaufman, the movies he's written and the movies he's directed. Um, He loves to think about 
our fundamental inability to communicate with each other. I'm thinking about Anomalisa. This movie and Anomalisa both share people misunderstanding each other's words, right? Like strange interactions where they say a thing that should be comprehensible, but then the other person just feels miles away. Um, Eternal Sunshine, even I feel like gets to that too, where there are these people that want to be together. They want to understand each other, but they keep getting in their own way, you know? Um, he loves to think about our inability to fully capture the human experience. Synecdoche, New York is a really obvious example. Adaptation to this desire to like get at truth and that the only way he can do that is by putting like more and more layers of absurdity onto things. Um, the desire to inhabit other people to be someone else. I think being John Malkovich has a kind of obvious parallel to this movie in terms of some of the themes he's wrestling with. I would say Charlie Kaufman loves puppets and there are multiple <laughs> movies where that is literal. And I would say the ending of this movie feels extremely like, like dolls being forced to perform a thing. Like, like he, he is really interested in this idea of like, what does it mean to be a person and how can I like pull away enough to grapple at my own anxieties over living and like express that somehow communicate it. I also think I kind of love this movie. <laughs> so that, that is my shot in the dark. I'm adding kind of because I don't think it was always easy to like. It's the kind of movie where when it ended, I was like, I'm really into what he did there. And I need to sit and just think about it for a while. <laughs> and then by the next day, I was like, I think I want to rewatch parts of that movie. And I kind of, like it, it grew over time in a way that I enjoyed. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like he... Charlie Kaufman has basically taken everything that he cares about in his movies and the, the things he's written and the things he's directed. And he took this book, which is related, like we'll, we'll get into it, but the book is not this movie. Like without <laughs> spoiling things, I will just say the book has no reference to musicals of any kind. The book has no reference to Academy Award winning movies of any kind. It doesn't quote anyone it doesn't have any the book is way less surreal than the movie I'll, I'll i'll just say that um and it kind of seems like he just merged the two and said like how can i get at what i think the book is trying to say and use it as like a canvas to project all of my charlie kaufmanisms onto it and that is a tough pill to swallow like you either are going to be into this movie or you are not I think Jesse Buckley is a big reason I was into this movie. I think if you if you let go of the why of it, if, if like if you let go of like what is happening, there are many individual scenes that I think she just completely sells in this movie. There is a scene where she is reciting a poem that I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, there is a scene where she is impersonating someone and discussing a film, which we can get into, which how that fits with the rest of the movie is a bigger conversation. But I think just as like an actress, I found that very enjoyable. Like I thought that was very funny and she really, she commits to all the different kind of personalities that she's forced to play in this movie. And she's forced to play a lot. She's forced to kind of like turn on a dime in a bunch of different ways. And I think she sells it in a way that is pretty crucial to this movie working. Jesse Plemons will get into it. It's going to be hard without talking about spoilers. Um, and then like the supporting players, Tony Collette and David Thewlis, they're more of like your typical Charlie Kaufman characters. I feel like they, they give the goods in what you probably were expecting. 
uh, the trailer I just listened to is the first thing I've ever seen about this movie. I avoided trailers because I didn't want to know anything. And they were the most similar to what the book would have you expect is going to happen in this movie. Um, but yeah, so I, I feel like the cast is game. The movie is a kind of wild ride through existential conversations and a creative person trying to take every bit of pop culture and literature and philosophy and everything else they have and just funnel it through this like anxiety kaleidoscope and just like throw it at the screen and be like, does this do it for you? Does this do it for you? Does this do it for you? And the, the place I think the movie wants you to be in is the place the characters are in where they can't get a thought finished because there's this like anxious thing that wants everything to be perfect. And it means every time like a bad thought is latched onto someone dives in and changes the subject or interrupts or does something to try to make it better, but there's no making it better. And that feeling is not pleasant, <laughs> but it is the feeling that this movie propels itself with. And I just thought there was a lot to think about and enjoy here and I I admire the exercise, and I feel like only Netflix would have said yes to something like this, and that uh, makes me happy. And for most everything else, I think we'd have to get into spoilers for. But I, I thought it was worth watching and worth thinking about, and to me, it only got better the more I kind of wrestled with it. Over We watched it on early on Sunday, so I've had quite a while to like sit with it between now and then. It's funny that you said only Netflix would make this film because as you were describing this film, I was like, this is Charlie Kaufman's Six Underground. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this, this is basically like, take everything, the collective works of Charlie Kaufman, put it in a blender, and what you get is this type of film. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have quite the reverence that you have for Charlie Kaufman, but I do... The films that I have seen, I very much appreciated. Um, I saw Synecdoche, New York, long after it came out on DVD. And I remember I text you. I, I wish there was an easy way for me to pull up that text from whatever year that was. But I think I literally like during the credits, I text you and I, I said something like, I'm not sure I understand what I just watched, but I think it kind of wrecked me. <laughs> And like, yeah. it was like, it, it was it like, I, I didn't know how to feel having seen that film. Um, but it, it like, it like I, I still haven't revisited since I watched it on DVD that one time. Um, but it still was like it when I saw it, I was like, man, this film is doing something. And I don't know if I absorbed all of it, but this is amazing. Um, hmm. That is unfortunately not exactly how I felt about <laughs> this film. Um, I, I will say this. I, I ate up about the first hour of this film. I was really, yep. really enjoying it. I, I was laughing out loud, probably to the uh, the obnoxious um, reaction. <laughs> Not obnoxious, but I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure Jamie was was like, "Why are you laughing this hard about this stuff?" Um, so but, this is, by the way, why I think you'll like the book and why I texted you when I started li listening to the book last week because yeah. the book is a lot more like the things that I think you liked about the first part of this movie. It, it definitely it had a lot of stuff that I that I do love and I, I really liked what it was doing. Um, actually, one if I can digress for a second, where did this film scare you? Because I think this film is presented in a way that puts you off kilter. Like there there are times in this film where it feels 
like it makes you react as though you're watching a horror film, even though this is clearly not horror genre. But I, I didn't know if like if your lizard brain would be tickled at all by like sort of the the like this is like an emotional Dutch angle, like the entire film. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know if 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 like you would like, you know, get goosebumps or anything, just kind of like the the eerie feeling that you get during this film. No, well, I think I was cushioned by having read the book. Like, the book is presented True. as a psychological thriller. The book is much more of this is supposed to be a little scary. But even the book didn't scare me, but the book also buffered me by letting me know roughly what was going to happen. So the movie, no, I didn't I didn't get the lizard lizard brain fear at all watching it. I did uh, think it was uncomfortable like it the cinematic dutch angle is a good way to describe <laughs> it it definitely is like a like it's a movie that everything just feels wrong and you're out of place right like the main character is kind of unmoored from everything and having to roll with it anyway and it yeah. definitely makes you feel that too but it, that wasn't frightening to me okay because even even rewatching the trailer i felt like that like not not the tropes of a horror film but it felt like it just sat in a weird place that is, I mean, part, I mean, I've said it on every time we've, every time we've reviewed a horror film, I've talked about how, like, for me, things that are wrong, that are just out of place that I can't follow to a logical end kind of creep me out. And this film definitely yeah. gave me, like, I... Did the dog creep you out? The, the dog didn't creep me out that much, um, but, but maybe because I had seen it in the trailer, um, but... Oh, okay. But I, I think that it's was more... an invention of the movie, and that was the like that was that was not in the book at all. And I was like, "Ooh, this is kind of a weird visual. I don't know how I feel about this." Yeah. Well, I think so. One, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get into it more in spoilers. But kind of watching the film, so I, I had kind of semi early on to this film, kind of settled in on it potentially being about memory and regret and. Um, being lost and feeling like how could I have done something differently or where did I go wrong in in these moments in time and I think about halfway through the dinner it dawned on me that this is something different than that <laughs> um, and like once once we get into like there's no such thing as revisionist memory right <laughs> Like there's revisionist history, but there's not revisionist memories. So it was clear that like something was being rewritten and revised upon. And I think there around that time, I transitioned from just vibing on the film to needing to try to figure out what the hell it was doing. And at some time about midway through their drive home, um, maybe even when they stopped to get burrs, um, this film started to sort of lose me. Um, and then from there, it was like a literal snowball <laughs> of kind of just falling away from me um, to the point where, <laughs> as I've joked with you already, the last 10 minutes of the film, I was just done. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, the last 10 minutes push harder than the rest, I would say. Um <laughs> I'm not going to fully stand by the final few minutes of this movie. <laughs> I, I will do my best to explain it in spoilers, but <laughs> that that is definitely where I think it went extra indulgent. Um, 
Yeah, but but for sure there is a moment I would say, and we should probably just get into spoilers before we go too much deeper into this. There is a moment when they're at the house talking with the family where the movie reveals a good number of its cards in terms of at least like conceptually roughly what is it doing. And I will say the book does not do any of that until like the last chapter. Okay. Um, like this movie lets you know very early on that things are not as they seem. And that is an interesting decision that I'm curious to unpack. So, so one question I do have for you about the book and like, I couldn't watch this without knowing that you had read it and like, having things in my head that I wondered about how so in the film you have a character talking in her head you have conversations that are happening out loud that are sort of talking over each other and um, these all play together somewhat harmoniously <laughs> um mm-hmm. At times, it's supposed to be like, you know, it jilts you out of whatever you're 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 currently doing. But for the most part, they play together in a sort of dance, um, which maybe is made literal later. <laughs> um, maybe. Uh, how how does that did did that same thing happen in the text? And if so, how does that play on the page compared to how it does in film? Yeah, the, the patter was very different. In the book, the book is much more internal to the unnamed woman, uh, the Jesse Buckley character. The book is a lot about her thoughts, and occasionally it veers out, and they are having a conversation. A lot of the book is them driving to the home, actually. Um, and she is having recollections about how they met and the things she likes and doesn't like and her own anxieties about their relationship. And then occasionally he will say a thing and they'll talk about it. But the the idea of one interrupting the other, that is a total Charlie Kaufman invention. Like that, that isn't the way the book feels. The book feels way more pensive. And then over time, the reality of the world of meeting the parents and of going for ice cream and stuff things start to feel wrong in a way that is building and that is when it starts to collide a little bit more with what charlie is doing but he's doing it from the beginning uh, in a way that the book is not doing so yeah should we just uh get the verdict so we can get the spoilers yeah all right everybody this is our pre-spoiler verdict um so stephen miller if you're gonna even say must see record with the caveat wait for until past the caveat or a must avoid what would you give it God, do I want to go with my heart or do I want to go with my brain? Because my brain wants to recommend it with a caveat because I know major caveat. Like, I get it. I understand. 50% of people who sat on my couch watching it hated it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm I'm going must-see. I, I, I like movies that you can wrestle with that, like, leave something to tease out and unpack. And this movie just offered so much of that. And it... It is very much Charlie Kaufman wrestling with a bunch of pop culture to try to express himself better. And I can relate to that desire. Like, that's a thing that I like trying to do is, like, pulling out quotes and ideas and stuff and trying to, like, jam them together and make sense of it. And this movie felt like one man doing that on screen in a way that I enjoyed. So, yeah, I 
I thought it was really interesting. It it gave me a lot more to think about than pretty much anything we've watched in quarantine, I think. And I am happy for that. So must see, even though there is a good chance it will not be for you. But whatever, watch it anyway. <laughs> I do think there will be something in it for most everyone. Like, I think there are stray scenes, at least, where what he is doing you can't help but admire that doesn't mean you'll like it but i think there will be things that he's doing that you'll be like huh that was kind of cool and maybe that's enough my my favorite i was gonna say gag but that's like maybe a double entendre relates to a ham <laughs> that is served at dinner <laughs> which uh i i literally laughed out loud and was like there i am <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> everything here is from the farm. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I this this is the film that is a journey, and it lost me over time. It uh, first of all, it's better than Mulan, <laughs> so um, I definitely Amen, am, not, am not gonna uh, sink it down that low. Um, I also don't think it is. I don't know why I like this more than I like Shirley. Uh, um, mm. I I think it's maybe because there is a there like there was a time watching this film where I thought I knew what it was doing what it was doing, and like there's enough of a there's enough of a presence that doesn't require me to know about this like somebody's work outside of what I'm watching for me to like follow along with it. Um, but I definitely by the end of it was not super satisfied with my, with my uh, time spent uh, watching it. Um, so, but I'm, I'm going to give it a wait for rental. I think that at the very least, it's a film that you can talk with people about. <laughs> mm. um, and like I said, there was a lot of this film that I was just like out loud laughing in a room with me and one other person. So that like, if a film can get you to do that, um, I think that's, you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah. The parents are very funny in particular. They definitely provide a lot of good belly laughs in this movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, um, so that is the non-spoiler section of our review. Um, for anybody who doesn't want to stick with us, uh, we're going to close out the episode for you. Um, so Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack, too. I'm thinking of anything, so hopefully you're enjoying that. And yeah, when that, that music is about to fade up, and when that music fades out, we will be in full-blown spoiler territory. So you will know exactly what we're thinking about. And spoilers, we're thinking about anything. <laughs> All right. We are back. This is spoiler territory. It's the after part of a review of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, 
we're we're thinking of anything but ending as we're about to go into a potentially lengthy conversation about the themes and metaphors and all sorts of whatnot of this film. Um, Stephen Miller, do you want to start us off with, uh, or, or, or do you want to ask me any questions about the film? Um, the, the ball is in your court. Well, well, yeah. Like, like, so one thing, one thing I will ask is, no, first I'm going to ask is having seen all of it, what, if anything, do you think is the reality of the movie? I'm just trying to set our baseline correctly. Well, so I've heard some chatter about the film. Um, so in, in, in without, I definitely did not read it correctly. <laughs> um, hmm. so I, I, my assumption of the film based on just like the first 20, 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer of the film was that this is, I mean, obviously I, I assume correctly guessed that the, uh, the janitor is the guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and my assumption is that this is a guy in old age remembering back to relationships of years past and sort of reliving those moments and trying to think back to how they went right or how they went wrong. And that, that was like, that held up for at least partway through dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and then things start to sort of skew. Um, and I never fully caught back on board with what it was trying to do. Um, like I, I've, I've heard enough that, um, the unnamed girl does not exist. <laughs> um, at least that's, that's what I've heard. Um, I definitely did not get that from watching the film, um, just because this film is crazy as hell. <laughs> um, so so I, I will say that read is one of the reasons why I'm curious what it would have been like to watch it without reading the book, because it, do you mind if I spoil the book a little bit? I don't think it's going to ruin your enjoyment of the book yeah, yeah. now that you've already seen the movie. Um, yeah, okay. So in the book, what we know only at the very end. So for most of the book, it is in her perspective her point of view it's basically like get out right like this terrifying meeting the parents scenario where you realize that nothing is right and you no longer trust the person that you're with um and then in the end when they're at the school things get a bit more surreal until ultimately she and jake are revealed to both be the same person. It's all the janitor basically having memories of his past. But he is having memories of a real girl that he saw at pub trivia a long time ago, and he wishes he'd given her his number, but he didn't. So he's like imagining this whole scenario, but he is basing it on a person that he saw from a distance. Um, so that that's the reality from the book, at least, is that we learn... The book is framed where there's like a there's a body which is the janitors and there's these like interstitial little moments in between chapters where you will get a little update from the present of people talking about like 
what happened. He didn't really have many friends. It seems like his family was gone, blah, blah, blah. And then it's only at the end that you realize those are connected. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty simple in the book notation, basically. It's like his thought, his regret. It's basically what you said. Like the, the way you said it is very close to what the book would have you believe. Yeah. Um, it's just they're not literal memories. It's what ifs based on an, yeah, an exactly. original seed memory. Yeah. Um, but in the book, as far as I can tell, there is one timeline that he is playing out. And I think in Charlie Kaufman's movie, there are many, many, many timelines that he's playing out. You know, you can, there are little hints like her sweater changing colors periodically. Or the, the father's or bandage switching sides of his forehead and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or like her profession changing. You know, she is a, uh, a physicist. And then, no, she's a biologist, and then she's a physicist, and then she's a poet, and then she's a painter, and then she's a film critic, and that like it keeps changing over time in a way where the movie I think makes it way more clear that you are in the imagination of someone who is desperately trying to craft a version of her that will work for him. Yeah, I, I think that's what the movie is doing, and every possible version of this girl can't stand him and that is the problem right is like you see these conversations going where he's trying to do things that are like a normal person interacting with anyone else like hey have you heard about wordsworth have you heard about this thing that i just read and she doesn't care and then he's like defeated for a second and then like things alter and suddenly like not only does she care but she is a poet now and she is reciting things for him but then she doesn't like his interpretation. And it's it's very much like this neurotic attempt to make a relationship work and realizing that nothing you do can fix it, yeah. no matter who the person is and what you said in the moment. Um, yeah, and that neurosis is like so much more heightened here than it is in the book, where in the book, I feel like it's a pretty straightforward girl feeling neurotic about her connection with this like kind of overly intellectual, but awkward man. Yeah. I, I think for me, like on paper, I understand what you're saying and I see that that works, but the, so it, it works in the confines of like a, a time travel type of film, right? Where you can go back and replay this. Like, what if I said something different? Like that sort of thing makes sense of, I know where I went wrong that one time at dinner, if I would have just said this instead of that, it makes sense. But because, because the story is told from the female's point of view through the male's point of view, there is a disconnect there that doesn't work for me. It's like there, this, this film mm -hmm. is, th this film is like one part time freak, one part stranger than fiction, right? Like it's, it's, a story about a character who is realizing that they're in somebody else's narrative and then trying to figure out how to deal with that scenario. Um, and uh, like Stranger Than Fiction, I love. It is a brilliant story that is doing something very, very interesting. This film, because it is kind of hiding from the viewer what it is doing, like Stranger Than Fiction is like, hey, here's the setup. This guy is actually the main character in somebody else's story and twist He's he can hear them narrating his life. How does he deal with that? Yeah. 
this is the opposite where or maybe even a, a, a better uh what's what's the film where uh paul dano writes a girl of his dreams um like he writes his own oh right uh uh fuck what's her name it, the, it, ruby sparks. Yeah, yeah ruby sparks ruby sparks like this is sort of like the the <laughs> like a weird horrible scary version of ruby sparks right where it's he is he is trying to manifest the perfect girl that would change his like th- there is a girl that got away and he is trying to now manifest her but he's sitting at the table with her and like toxically trying to change her in real time as she is experiencing but the problem is he is also the person he is doing this to and it's it's happening on too many different wavelengths for me to know what it's trying to say and i think that like right if you've if you've listened to 626 episodes of this podcast you know that i need to know what you're trying to say with your movie in order for me to truly enjoy it and if i feel i don't either i don't know what you have to say or i think you have nothing to say um then it hurts my reaction to it and and, and i I would never claim that Charlie Kaufman has nothing to say because clearly he has too much to say <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and I'm not picking up all of what he's trying to say. But I think that for me, the metaphor, metaphor is getting too cloudy um, and over time, I, like, I have a buffer in my head that I can hold any enough things. And like once, once the character is talking about... Like th- there's a scene where uh, uh, Jesse Buckley's character is uh, talking about how she let herself get into this situation and the literal fear she has for like where like there's a point where like she is criticizing the behavior of the man who put her in this situation and trying to understand why she let herself get put in this situation and now I'm like I don't even know what metaphor you're talking about now because you are the person who put like it, it just gets so confusing that like there aren't enough single threads for me to pull on to get anywhere. Instead, I'm just pulling loose threads and now I have a big wad of yarn that without a board. No, no, I get it. And and that's why I think even though the conceit of the movie, at least of the book version is this is, one man thinking back and trying to make a story of how his life could have gone otherwise and failing to do it. I think the movie wants to be more loose than that. Like, like I don't know that it is helpful to tie the movie to this is what is happening Yeah, because it's more about like, it feels more like self-criticism also of like, I'm going to play this out and show how I'm the asshole, no matter what I do, like no matter, even in my dreams, I can't get the girl. Right. I yeah. feel like that's kind of what the, what the movie is doing. Like, even in my dreams, I fuck up. I, I say something ridiculous. I let like anger get the best of me. I'm, I'm not smart enough in my opinion of the thing. She's not impressed with this book that I read. She isn't impressed that I memorized this poem. She doesn't want to hear it like that. It's just like a person who is very defeated and it's kind of like hiring two actors to play out all your anxieties of how you can never really interact with other people. And I feel like it's easier to view it that way than to view it as like 
at this moment, the janitor is thinking of her thinking about because then you get too many layers deep. And yeah. I don't know that it really holds up to that kind of scrutiny. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's like if you watched in, in 500 Days of Summer, if you watch the first two minutes of every single cut in time to a different day within the relationship, except for there was no cut. They were all at the same time. <laughs> like ever present yeah like that's that's like what yeah. it feels like it's doing um but i don't know whose vantage point i'm supposed to see this situation from <laughs> and it becomes more and more uh like i don't know it, it's 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 an assault on my uh ability to vibe with what it's doing i guess yeah so i am wondering how much there's a scene in the movie in Jake's old bedroom where the camera is lingering on like a few books and things like that. Ah, Jake's old bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anyway, sorry. Um, so if you're like me, you didn't like, I had never heard Pauline Kael's review of A Woman Under the Influence or like I didn't know that book of poetry or things that were being shot but definitely that scene was enough for me to realize that all the things they were saying to each other were quotes from other things that they were like reappropriating and I'm wondering how that came across to you as someone who maybe like without knowing the ending you didn't know yet how much of this was like interior and how much wasn't yeah, I mean, by I mean, by that point in time we had already had time separations and stuff, right? Like so mm -hmm. so literally before she went to that room, I was like this is some weird fucked up version of duck butter, right? Where it's like Exactly. It's yeah. like I I was kind of like, okay, I think I get it. These people were together through a lot of different things and you're seeing how their relationship was at various points in life in the ebbs and flows of how that was going. And I think once she reads the poem that was recited from earlier, then I was kind of like, all right, I don't know what the fuck's happening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then the old man dad comes in and then the time jumping really becomes more explicit. Yeah. Like, I don't know, for instance, if you ask me what is the literal meaning of the parents changing age and time, I can't tell you a literal reason why that happens. It's just like putting all of his memories on a page because he doesn't know how to separate them anymore. That's like the closest I can come to a literal read. Um, anyway, because for me, like, I I did catch that she was impersonating Pauline Kale, the film critic, like when they start discussing a movie in the car and she all of a sudden becomes like this asshole basically who has like this very fierce opinion and she's talking over him and he feels like he can't get a word in anymore um i didn't get the reference but i like i, I still enjoyed that that was happening like there was enough being telegraphed for me to be like i want to go back later and look up this review <laughs> um and i i was particularly excited because on the bookshelf was a book of david foster wallace essays which like, I have the book, so I recognized it immediately in in the shelf. I was like, oh, my God, that's, that's the book I have. And then they wound up having, like, a prolonged yeah. conversation about him and his essays. Um, and this is where I kind of feel like the kaleidoscope of influences is coming into play. Because 
a story that is not in that book of essays at all, which is one of my like favorite short stories, is Good Old Neon, which is by Dave Foster Wallace. And it's about, I don't want to spoil too much, but a lot of it takes place on a car. And it's about someone trying to imagine what went through someone else's mind before they killed themselves. Um, and a lot of this movie feels like a lot of that story in terms of the ruminations on how time works, how time flows, and how can you inhabit other people and what would drive people to do something like this. And then in the middle of talking about David Foster Wallace, they say they they say something like, uh, oh, he, he killed himself, you know? Um, yeah, everybody knows that. Even people who know nothing else about David Foster Wallace, they've never read a word of his writing, but they still know that because suicide becomes the story, the mythology, the cautionary tale. It's so cheap. And that is like, he shoved that in a movie where I knew that it was ending in suicide and that it was like a cautionary tale about life. And it just, there's something about like the layers of his, like, I am going to criticize myself. You know, I'm going to like take this thing I'm making and I'm going to poke a bunch of holes through it. Like even the, the movie criticism that happens there, what little I could catch of it in her like impersonation of this character with a very different accent. Um, involved like this actress is asked to portray so much she's doing so many things that i can't tell if any of it is good or true at all because she's just throwing it all out there and seeing what will stick and the movie on a whole that she's criticizing a woman under the influence she's saying it's like it is so focused on depression as a matter of fact of just like a thing about this character that it isn't telling me anything about her it just thinks that's going to substitute it and i there was something that i just like really enjoyed in that moment of like oh he's doing an adaptation on me he's like telling me how his own version of telling the story is shitty and not good enough to communicate what he wants to communicate and that i i don't know i it's head is up its own ass but i enjoyed that (laughs) a lot like that, that gave me a lot of joy, especially the catch reference of like, I get what you're quoting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, ga- it gave me a little bit of that. Yeah. I, so I, I, I think for me, part of why some of what it's doing doesn't work is because there's technically like there's three characters that are one character and the narrative is driven by the character that is the what if character. The old self is just like a shitty bystander to that who is perceiving it. And I think that some of the most compelling stuff in this story is the janitor story, but we spend so little time on his story um, because like there's something very, very interesting about like, being it's it's the non-pervy version of um matthew mcconaughey's like <laughs> i keep getting older and they keep staying the same age right like he spends four years of his of, of a person's life around them observing them and seeing them and then they go off and they'll never ever remember him but he saw them and noticed them and like saw this production of oklahoma <laughs> they did and like he he has fond memories of them that they will never ever care about or know about or even think about ever for the rest of their lives. But it's like a big deal for him. And when he's walking through the city as this invisible person who nobody pays attention to, he will see 
one of these people who he knew from these productions that happened yearly and it's a big deal for him to notice them and they will never notice him and yeah they won't care yeah like there's something very very interesting and compelling about that and just that idea of what's what an experience means to one person versus another person and, and how we like how many people we walk by every day that don't mean a thing to I mean we don't walk by anybody now but you know what I mean before before this whole pandemic thing yeah. happened like all the people we interact with like how many movies have we reviewed and we don't know the name of any of the ticket takers that we've ever passed right like the, the, it's like the, there there's something interesting happening there um but that isn't the character that this film is about i mean technically it is but really he he's only there as the looming what is going to happen in the present time um outside of what's going on so it's like there there's there's really interesting deep thoughts that are happening there but those aren't the deepest thoughts that this film is trying to portray because you can't do that much metaphorically <laughs> with that right yeah. so it's kind of like it's it's this film is it it feels a lot like what if i just threw every possible metaphor for life and relationships all together in one sort of thing and call it a day um and obviously like like the the, the directing chops that it takes to pull this performance out of these people is it beyond like i don't even i, I can't imagine how long the, the shoots were every day for very very simple yeah. things or if if one take is just reactions like this is it, it would be like if if during this review i looked to steven for every single sentence and i needed him to like nod and give me the next word before i can continue like i don't even know how you go about directing that sort of interaction um so it, like that side of everything is just impressive. It's just there is so much happening that I, I don't it kind of like it, it's fatigue, really, that by the end of it, I was just yeah. so like kind of like I couldn't I, I not that I couldn't take it anymore, but it was like I was no longer trying to process everything because I knew there wasn't. It's like if I, if I gave you a math equation and I said it was your final and then I knew that it was unsolvable. <laughs> <laughs> and you spent like a week of your life and you were really stressed out when you got to class. I was like, ah, you get an A. It's impossible. You can't do it. <laughs> like, that's kind of <laughs> how I feel this movie is. Or like by the end of it, I'm like, I, I'm not him. So I don't, I don't know really what he wants to say. I just kind of see some of the ideas that he has. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's fair. I, I definitely agree with the director chops too. I think this movie is very, very, just pulling it off is a feat. I do feel like I I have to imagine this is intentional and I don't know if this will make sense to you, but there's like most of the movie residing in the past or imaginary tense, you know, the tense where Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons are residing feels like a movie movie. Like it looks like a movie. It feels like a movie. It has those cinematic qualities. The present tense with the janitor there's an aspect of it that felt like a like adult swim live action show or something like there, there's something more fake or hyper real about those scenes of him walking around and I couldn't put my finger on why they just they they felt like unnerving to me and I couldn't I I couldn't explain it um I I don't know why that is it's just something about like the way things are shot like even though it's real it feels fake in the present 
like it feels very ornate and strange like it, it's off-putting well, I, I don't, yeah it's probably i don't even have a full thought it's there. probably just trying to create that separation right because i mean the first time we see the yeah. old man he is looking out his window down at the down at the street where she is about to get into the car <laughs> right so it's it's like it's it's trying to i, I feel like it's even color wise, I feel like the world he existed in is much brighter than than yeah. the world that everyone else is in. <laughs> um, also, yeah. one thing that stuck out to me is oh. the wallpaper in that house is loud as fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, it is just, it's it's very, very loud. loud and it's very there. <laughs> so one thing that is interesting to me, and again, this is there is no part of the book where the janitor is alive, as far as I can tell. Like, so the the book, like, you know about the existence of the janitor, but it's not like you're following him in real time and comparing that to other people. Okay. Um, a strange thing in this movie is, from what I can tell, the janitor resides, his day is not snowing. Like, it seems like things are sunny and the lawns are green and he's seeing swing sets in just a regular world. But then by the end of this movie, he has died in a blizzard, presumably of hypothermia, because I don't I don't think him crawling naked with the pig actually happens. Like, I think the the end credits of the movie imply that he died in his car, that like the car got covered in snow and he just froze to death in it. Um, I couldn't tell if the movie wanted to just be like, hey, it is cold and just in the morning it wasn't. Or if it's like him freezing is the weight of all of his anxiety, like the blizzard in his brain is the thing that drove him to die in the end. Cause in the book, mild spoilers for the book, he literally kills himself. Like we learn specifically that he does. It isn't like a pig and then a beautiful mind quote. It, it's like, it just happens and we know that it happens. Yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of interpreted it as, like he's been thinking of ending things <laughs> and eventually right. he just gives up and then walks off into the snow and any weird things that happen out in the snow are like delusional hypothermia dreams or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I, I interpreted the car covered in snow in the credits is just the remnants of him having been His like, life. yeah, like I, I, I didn't, I didn't think he died in the car. Um, because it definitely seems like he's ready to go home and then he's like, well, they dance in the hallways. I don't need, to... <laughs> I don't have anything yeah. to go home to. <laughs> like, I think it was like, so this is why I should ask, have, have you seen Oklahoma? I have not in any I have form? not seen Oklahoma. So I, I have heard reference to Oklahoma within, with like in, talking about this film but i i have no idea anything about oklahoma yeah i also have not seen it i i like looked it up after watching this yeah. movie like i i assumed that the dance and musical numbers in this movie were from oklahoma and that wound up being true um but yeah i i feel like that would be one of those influences that would have been interesting to know ahead of time yeah. like i wonder what i would i also didn't recognize the beautiful mind scene at all by the way in my in my mind, he was just redoing Anomalisa because Anomalisa ends with him like a man giving a lecture 
about human connection and it becomes more like untethered as it goes on. And in my head, he was just like pulling the same trick again here. And then come to find out it's like a word for word remake of the ending of a beautiful mind. Yeah. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't think of that at the time either. Yeah. One thing that did disorient me though, which I did notice is the, all of the young people in this movie are reused kind of over and over again. Like the, the girls at not Dairy Queen, Tulsi Town, I think is what they call it in this movie. They are all seen as high school students earlier in the movie. And then at the end, in that big speech that he's giving, the audience is all the young people that we've seen from the school, just with like old age makeup put on top of yeah, them. Yeah, that... Because that's like... <laughs> that, that, like the cell shaded old age makeup... I like I yeah. I blocked that out of my brain. I just as soon as you said old age makeup, I was like, oh yeah, that was the weird fucking cell shaded stuff. Yeah, isn't there something? It's like kind of Burton, like Tim Burton esque, but then it's also like they look like puppets in a weird way. Like I feel like that is the most puppet feeling scene. Like it doesn't feel real. If you Google Borderlands cosplay, like it's that makeup, just not as good. Oh wow. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. But yeah, there's something like when I think about Jesse Plemons on the stage and I did, I watched that scene a couple times later. So it's maybe a little bit more fresh in my mind. It doesn't feel like a real camera is pointing at a real person. It feels like a bunch of little dolls in Charlie Kaufman's world at that point. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why that is, but that is part of why this movie felt it feels like as it gets toward the end, it becomes progressively less about people and more about this fake make believe imaginary universe inside a person's brain. Yeah. And I, I thought the effect just visually was really cool like that. He managed to pull that off without I'm not going to say without it feeling jarring. Tons of it felt jarring. But it, it becomes more and more surreal in a way where there's never the one moment where you're like, yeah. oh, that is when it stopped being realistic. It kind of is like gaslighting you the whole time. Well, maybe that's maybe that's him transitioning away from thinking that this one girl in the bar could have saved him. And he's transitioning into like, what if he had accolades that like he he yeah. achieved something in his life that didn't require this woman. And then he's like, that doesn't even work either. <laughs> And then he's like, I'm done thinking, I'm ending things. So in the, I, I don't know how to interpret this, by the way, but in the book, the character of Jake, he is the one who is a biology PhD or professor who is very smart and who insists that he needs to be home in the morning to work. And she is just like along for the ride. And it's kind of interesting that they flip that where she becomes everything and he is nothing. Yeah. I. I don't know what that means, but he definitely changed that from the book. Well, there's so there's some there's a couple of weird scenes where there is it's not just talking about him as like a shitty or flat nothing of a person, but it's strictly about like I don't know if it's quite trying to approach toxic masculinity, but she is basically like she is now trapped with him in this car and has no agency anymore. And she is diet. Like there's a scene where she's talking to herself, but she is him, but I don't know who she's talking to. 
but like she's she's basically trying to explain why this the situation she put herself in is fucked up and like she's trying to deal with like how how she that like she might die here because, <laughs> because of mm-hmm. this whatever is going on in his head and i so i feel like there is that 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 is that is in there somewhere and I, I, I kind of saw that as a similar side of the coin of the like, I agreed to come here just because I didn't know how to get out of it. And now I'm trapped here and I really, really want to leave. And there's a storm outside. And like, it's, it's like a series of threats against her. And she is constantly just having to take it um, because she is not in control of her scenario. And it's it, like, that sort of weirds me out too, because she is a creation of his mind who is still his consciousness but is somehow self-aware in a second self to worry about the situation that she's in (laughs) right um yeah it's it's very strange yeah no it's true and it definitely there is a good deal about toxic masculinity in here i think the book probably makes it more obvious because she is frightened much of the time in the book um but it is kind of yeah the level of self-awareness is strained and it also seems like the jesse plemons seems much more frightening and abrasive to me than the janitor does granted we don't get to see the janitor really talk much in the movie so it's hard to compare the two but it kind of feels like they are two extremes of his personality that he's imagining is like she gets to inhabit the like intelligent, normal person that he wishes he were or wishes he could connect to. And then Jesse Plemons becomes the, the version that he is who like screams at his mom for getting G- calling it genius edition instead of genius edition, <laughs> which to be fair, I used to hate that as well when I, when I was growing up. Um, like, he does all these things that are strange. It is interesting because they are strange even in his self-perception. Yeah. Like, trying to get her to go get ice cream, and she clearly doesn't want to, but he just kind of, like, forces it to happen. And then the... Yeah, there, there's a lot of strangeness <laughs> going on in this movie. Yeah, I guess that, that scene... And don't ask me why the girl has, like, rashes on her arms and stuff. I don't... That's in the book, too, and I don't know in either of those situations why that happens. But, but that's also... that. I think that's, like, kind of where it starts to happen, where clearly he's had altercations he's had some sort of experience with the women at this burr and he has a fond memory of the burr but it kind of feels like he's just into the girls like burr is the place that all the like popular girls or something from school work so he goes in there all the time but he's just sort of creepy because yeah he makes her order because he, he they won't come if he but then they all are like they're strangely excited that he's there like they don't talk to her they only talk to him i i don't know i i struggled to kind of understand what that whole thing was doing (laughs) yeah i don't know either i don't know all i know is i liked it and i will probably watch it again (laughs) (laughs) cool um any last thoughts about this film, Stephen? I I feel like this film just has a bunch of great 
thoughts that are thrown out there, even separated from the rest of the movie, like the conversation about viruses, about a thought being like a virus. I feel like Jesse Buckley's delivery is just so great of those lines. Um, the poem reading, I think, is like just extremely good. I think all of the talk about a thought, like you can't lie with a thought, you can lie with your words and you can lie with everything else, but a thought is the one real thing. And once it gets in there, you can't let go of it. Um, I don't know. There, there are just a lot of concepts that I like a lot in this movie. And I think even if you completely removed your desire to understand anything that's going on and just took every scene as if we're like a separate short film or something, I think there's stuff to enjoy here. So yeah, I, I guess that is my thought. It's fun to weave them all together, but it really <laughs> feels more like a collage of thoughts than it does one one thing. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, well, I think that's probably going to do it for this review. Um, I think we beat our Mulan time. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. Uh, but yeah, I... Don't know how to end this other than to say... I'm thinking of ending this. 